Hey, hello friends, and welcome to this message, which is specially handpicked to minister to you and to bless you. I am Pastor Lincoln Seranga, Senior Pastor here at Liberty Christian Fellowship in London. My passion is the pursuit of 100% answered prayer. If that sounds like a good subject to you, why don't you follow me at lincolnseranga.com and also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and other social media where you will be able to find other messages as well as find access to short courses, coaching opportunities, and more. God bless you as you listen to this message. Um, Speaking of how different Jesus walked and how different he was in every sense of the way, it wasn't just about the miracles. It wasn't just about them. Today, I want to speak to you Um, on something that Pastor Derek touched last week. Actually, how he put it was, uh, we want to become like Jesus in our emotions. And it left that phrase, Jesus' emotions, ringing through my mind. How many of you did that register for? I know for some people, it just hit so hard. And uh, so I thought that today we should dwell a little bit on what Jesus demonstrated and what he taught about emotions. Now, I know that we're all socially distanced and we're sitting apart from each other, but I wonder what your neighbor would describe themselves as. How would you describe yourself? You often hear some people describe themselves as emotional. And then you hear some people describe themselves as too emotional. And then there are some of you that are super cool, (laughs) non-emotional. And um, we, we almost have a way that we despise those that are emotional How many of you are bold and will say, I'm emotional and I'm okay with it? (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So there's a way that people say of us who are emotional that you are so emotional, as if it's an abuse. Yeah? Um, Almost making it like those who do not display their emotions are really cool. They really have it together. Um, I had a difference of opinion with a family member. This goes back like uh, maybe five years ago. Now, you, you know if you've had a difference with a family member that it hits hard because that's your family. So you don't expect your family to fall out with you over certain things. So we had this difference and um, he... he I give him the game away a little bit. Anyway, this person came to me and he said to me that you're not reasoning. You're not using your logic. You are too emotional. And you're looking at things emotionally. You're just doing things emotionally. And then as he was saying it, his voice was going higher and higher and higher. And then he got the door and he slammed the door in my face. And so I was like, and I'm the one who's emotional? (laughs) 
you know? So it, it's like some people rec don't recognize even when they're being emotional. So he, may, he thought that I think with my heart, but right there, he was displaying a whole lot more emotion than I was. And I want to bust a few myths about emotions. Myth number one, emotions are not female. They are not girly. They are not restricted to women. And all the women said, <laughs> men are emotional too. We are just emotional about different things. Hmm? And we may express the emotion differently. Some of us express emotion by crying. Others express emotion by slamming doors. Or by storming out. Or by sulking. Or by not speaking. All of the above is emotion. Yeah? Myth number two, emotions are not inferior. Don't be emotional. We hear a lot of times, don't be emotional. But um, or sometimes you may have heard the phrase, that is just emotion. Have you heard that one? Those are just emotions. Those are just emotions. But emotions are not just emotions. They are not inferior. Do you know that major events like war and genocide behind them are emotions. Do you know that a lot of the things in the world, uh, whether it's divorce, family breakdown, murders, all of those things come from just emotion. So we need to give emotion their place. It is not a weakness and it's not a female thing. And in fact, uh, there's a special word, I forgot to write it down, but there's a certain mia of some sort, which is attached to people that have difficulty connecting with their emotions. So it's actually a thing. And in these days of wokeness, thankfully, it has become more cool to discuss emotional health. Actually, um, the whole revolution, I mean, nowadays, people ask you, how are you? And if you talk about, well, I'm feeling down or I'm going through something or whatever, it's no longer despised in the workplace. It is recognized that our emotional health is important. And um, it began to be a thing, emotional health, in, uh, well, it was discussed in the, like in the late 60s, but it blew up in 1995 when the whole thing about emotional intelligence became a thing after a book was written, Emotional Intelligence. How many of you have heard that phrase, emotional intelligence? And um, for those of you that haven't, what is emotional intelligence? It is briefly, let me try to put it in a nutshell, the ability to understand and manage your emotions positively in a way that makes you at peace with yourself and the ability to empathize with others and overcome challenges. 
right? So before I go into like the meat of this, I just want to highlight a few quotes, give you a few quotes on the importance of your emotional health. Just look at the person next to you and you let your eyes say, how are you really? <laughs> so here are some quotes on emotional health. Number one, when dealing with people, remember you are not dealing with creatures of logic, but with creatures of emotion. Next quote, the emotional brain responds to an event more quickly than the thinking brain. Mm -hmm. You want another one? You want another up? <laughs> Any person capable of angering you becomes your master. This is one I like, the last, my last quote for now. It says, CEOs are hired for their intellect and business expertise, and they are fired for a lack of emotional intelligence. You want them again, Pastor Lincoln? I am a woman under submission. When dealing with people, remember you are not dealing with creatures of logic. Can I just pause there for a minute and ask the uh, husbands to underline this quote? You're not dealing with creatures of logic, but with creatures of emotion. Can I speak to the wives for a minute? Have you ever said, I just don't feel it? And they're like, why? What is the logic behind you? And I just feel. And it doesn't make any sense. But you are not dealing with creatures of logic. We are dealing with creatures of emotion. The emotional brain responds to an event more quickly than the thinking brain. Any person capable of angering you becomes your master. That is scary. And CEOs are hired for their intellect and business expertise and fired for a lack of emotional intelligence. That is basically saying you may be very clever, you may have the highest IQ, you may be very capable, you may be very gifted, but if you do not have emotional intelligence, you may rise to a position, but you will not stay there. Because what makes you stay there is emotional intelligence. It is important that we understand the place in humanity of our emotions, of that seat, of the soul. Now, the proponents of emotion in, emotional intelligence are just catching up with the Bible. Because the Bible has always taught the importance of emotional intelligence. And that has been the teacher of, teaching of scripture from day one. You want me to prove it? Marvin, throw up John 3, 2. It's the prayer that says, Beloved, I pray. John 3, 2. That is the epistles of John, the third epistle, 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And I love that prayer. 
that you may prosper and be in good health and wealth and all of that. And then he says, as your soul prospers, which means you, we need your soul to prosper first before you are in health and wealth and all of those things. The prosperity of your soul is key. The prosperity of your soul is what everything else is supposed to be built on. Hmm? And Jesus said it like this in Mark 8 and verse 36 to 37. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The Bible has always said that the seat of our emotions, the soul, is key. The Bible has always said you need to look after your emotional health. The Bible has always taught that the heart is the heart of the matter. The Bible has always taught that we need to make sure we are healthy inside before we uh, uh, emphasize everything else. The Bible has taught that getting things externally does not fix this emotional intelligence thing. Amen. Now, um, without claiming to be an expert on emotional intelligence as it is taught out there, I can say that the pillars of emotional in in intelligence are self-awareness, that is knowing who you are, who you're not, what your feelings are, what, what your shortcomings are, what your strengths are, all of that good stuff. Self-regulation, being able to master your feelings. Motivation, having passion, being driven in things. Compassion, being able to see somebody else to see past yourself, to see what, what you're doing, how does it impact the person you're doing it to? Or what you're doing for yourself, how does it impact those around you? Compassion or empathy and social skills. But if you read a little bit, go and ask Google, because Google don't lie. <laughs> if you read... Um, around emotional intelligence, you will find that the people that have taught it and taught it end up saying that the most important of all of these pillars is empathy. The most important of the lot of them is empathy. And they talk about how you can never really be a leader until you have learned empathy. Until you have learned to feel other people's needs, to see where they are, to look beyond yourself. They emphasize that. Now, I know one thing, that Jesus was the perfect man. And he absolutely and demonstrate, com completely demonstrated emotional intelligence at 100%. And I know this of him. He was no cold, unfeeling 
logic-based rabbi. Mm -mm. He was not this guy with all head knowledge and no heart. In fact, I think you will agree with me, Jesus was emotional. So those of you, my emotional sisters in the house, we are in good company. Jesus was emotional. Isaiah describes him as the man of sorrow. Hmm? And acquainted with grief. The scriptures recall that he wept publicly and privately. He had a very noisy prayer room. The Bible says that in his prayer room, he raised up loud shouts and cries to the one who was able to deliver him from death. So if you came to his prayer room, you would say this is a very emotional man. For those of you men who think men don't cry, who are you following? I remember a story uh, someone was telling me. I think I've told you this story of a young boy. He must have been eight or nine who was taken for an injection. And he must have come from a family where he was told every day, men don't cry, men don't cry, men don't cry. So they took him for the injection and the little boy put his arm there. They brought the scary needle and he kept saying out loud, men don't cry, men don't cry. <laughs> But the Jesus I know was found at the tomb of Lazarus weeping. And the Jesus I know was not embarrassed about emotions. He cried. He loved. He displayed anger. Eh? It's like some of us are like, you're a pastor. You're not allowed to display anger. But who are you following? The one we follow, he displayed anger. He displayed frustration. When the disciples were not getting the point, he would say to them, Oh ye of little faith. And I know that some of you ushers would have pulled him aside and said, Master, come down. Like some of the things that he said to the, um, to the Pharisees, you whitewashed sepulchers and all of that. I'm sure if he had been a pastor in our day, some people would have sent emails, WhatsApp, and said, Pastor, you need to calm down. Maybe have a coffee before you come to speak to people so that you don't lose your cool. I am not being disrespectful. I am just showing you that emotional intelligence may look different from what we think. And emotional wholeness may not necessarily mean that you walk around and no one knows what you're doing, what you're feeling, whether you're feeling it or not. Some of you, even in the worship, you're like, you know, you, we can't cry. How can we cry in worship? You know, the whole entire me? How? You know, but... Maybe we do not understand what emotional intelligence is. But this year, our pursuit is to emulate the man who had supreme emotional intelligence. To look at him and learn to be like him emotionally. Learn 
to be like him emotionally. Learn to cry like he cried. Cry over the things he cried about. Be angry over the things that made him angry. Be forthright about the things that he was forthright about. Be like him. Amen. So not your neighbor if, you're, if you have one within and tell them you are free to actually get out of your shell and start to be alive emotionally. Amen. I pray this year that we may prosper emotionally even as our souls prosper. Now, to be like someone, you need to know what they are like. And it goes without saying that the more you focus on someone and how they do their things, the more you hang out with them, the more you begin to look like them or begin to do the things that you do. So that's what we're supposed to be doing with Jesus. You will remember Pastor Lincoln walking behind Apollo. I think that one is seared in our memories for all eternity. We, when I say like Jesus, I always have a picture of Apollo walking and Pastor Lincoln, or was it the other way around? Yeah, it was that way around. Pastor Lincoln following every step. And may God give us the grace to delve deep into the word this year and look at what Jesus was like emotionally and copy and paste and become like Jesus. So I want to take a minute today and look at how Jesus did emotional intelligence. And it's, um, there's too much for us to cover within one service. So I, I will pick and choose the ones that I feel are speaking to me the most right now. And maybe we'll come back to this another time. But I want to start with self-awareness. If anything stood out about Jesus, this one thing did. He knew who he was. And he knew who he was not. He knew what he was called to do. And he knew what he was not called to do. He knew when he was meant to do things. He knew when it was his time to wait, and he knew when it was his time to be manifested. He knew when it was his time to speak, and he knew when it was his time to be silent. Somebody say, make me like Jesus. He was perfectly in tune, 100%. He was called rabbi, and the rabbis of his day were lords. They were high up there in the society and they had no time for the riffraff and the crowds. But he did not conform to the pressure. You know when you become, I'll tell you this because I'm a pastor's wife. I've now been a pastor's wife for 30 years. I still don't know whether I confirm to what a pastor's wife is supposed to do, be, whatever. But I know that when I just become a pastor's wife, one of my issues was, do I, should I look like her? Or should I look like her? Should I 
do what she does? Or who should I look like? And I was so set free when the Lord said, none of them. You just look at me and be what I ask you to be. And that is what Jesus did. The rabbis had a certain code of conduct, way that they conducted themselves, the way that they carried their robes, the people that they mixed with. And there was pressure for him as Messiah to conform, just as there is pressure on you to act a certain way. But he stood apart because he knew who he was and who he was called to. Those guys did not mix with the riffraff. But listen to what Jesus said in Luke 5, verses 31 to 32. When they asked him, why are you mixing? If you are a man of God, why are you mixing with the tax collectors and those guys who are down and out? As we would say in Uganda, that is not your class. And I remember sometime, I don't know whether you remember this, Pastor Lincoln, but I remember um, when I joined a, a church that was in papyrus and mud on the ground, and somebody pulled me aside and they said, that is not your class. Why are you with those guys? Do you know, those guys that you are praying with, they didn't go to school. They don't speak English, most of them. What on earth are you doing there? And I said, that is where I find God. I don't care whether they went to my school, they went to Buddha or Gayaza or whatever irrelevant. I am looking for God and I have found him here in the mud with the people who have not gone to school. I find God there. Jesus said to them in, Ma in Luke 5, Jesus answered and said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, he was saying to them, thank you very much, guys, for trying to define my mission for me and what crowd I should have. But I know who I am called to. I am not called to the righteous. I am not called to the tidy. I am not called to those who are educated. I am called to the sinners. You need to know who you're called to. You need to know what it is that God where it is that God has placed you. When, that is one way that Jesus showed what he is, you know, that he knows what he was about. Then the disciples spoke to him one time. I'm just speaking about Jesus knowing, being self-aware. One time the disciples came to him. This was after he had preached his powerful message on the talents and at the end of it, allow me to paraphrase, the disciples came to him and they said, Master, nobody got any of that. Now, I don't know, some of you are preachers, you will you feel how I feel. If at the end of the day, your firmest supporters come to you and say, that whole sermon, we didn't get it. We didn't get it, they didn't get it, nobody got it. Pastor B, how would that make you feel? <laughs> For many of us, that would give us a confidence crisis. 
Because you're suddenly like, oh, I did my best. I tried to communicate. I did my best to communicate. And nobody got me. But listen to what the master said. He said the, that disciples, this is in Matthew 13, verses 10 to 11. The disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And I don't know whether for you, you feel a little bit like me. But I think I, the broken side of me, would have taken that as criticism. Why do you speak in parables? Why don't you speak plain? Why do you speak in a language we can't understand? And he answered them and said, because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. In other words, I wasn't talking to them. If they didn't hear me, I wasn't talking to them. I am talking to the ones whom God opens their ears to hear. Can you hear the confidence in this? In that he's saying, look, God will enable those he has given me to understand. Even if the thousands have not understood it is given to you to understand the mysteries. Now, I am not espousing some weirdness where you become intentionally complex and you speak in a, well, in a way that confuses all of us and at the end of the day, we're like, huh? But it is essential to our health emotionally for us to know not everyone will get you. Let me say it again. Not everyone will get you. May I say, not everyone will be a fan. Not everyone is going to clap. Some will clap. Some will throw stones. Some will abuse. You need to know what you are called to and be comfortable with it. Not everybody will love you. That is the biggest revelation that I ever got. Not everybody gets me. But they don't have to. And you don't need to fall apart because somebody has come and said, I don't get you. That's all right. Don't also tell them, then it's okay because I'm not called to you. You, don't, you know, like don't throw it back in their faces. But be confident in yourself, understanding that God, you are not sent to everyone. Those whom God has given into your hand, those are yours. Yeah? And some of them are in your hand for a season. Enjoy the season. And do not fall into a crisis when they have to move. Hallelujah. This is what I'm showing you about emotional health. It is important that we know who we are, who we are called to, what we are called to, where we stop. And you know, like when, as for that one, I'm not... Uh, Pastor Lincoln, we were talk discussing this with Pastor Lincoln and he gave me the example of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was one of those who people were confused by his ministry. And so they came and they asked him, but now you, who are you? Hmm? 
You're not a rabbi. What are you? Are you Elijah? Are you Messiah? Tell us who you are. And John described himself perfectly. He did not say, I'm a wannabe Messiah or anything like that. He said, I am the voice. Crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now we can say of John, he was arrested. It was too early. He died prematurely, but he had done his mission. His mission was to prepare the way. When he had prepared the way, he bowed out and he let the one who was supposed to take the next, the, take the baton run because he knew who he was. There's a wonderful scripture that I want to share with you um, from John chapter 13, uh, verses 3 to 5. You see, this knowledge that Jesus had, this self-awareness, did not make him complex. It did not make him in a, aloof. This is what, this, is the, this scripture comes from the story about washing the disciples' feet. Now, washing the disciples' feet was not a job for a boss. It was a job for a servant. In fact, some say it was the job for the lowest servant. And Jesus took a towel, wrapped a towel around himself. But before he did that act, that was the act of the lowest humility, this is what the Bible says. It says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going to God. He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, gathered himself, and he began to wash their feet. He was able to humble himself and serve because he knew that he had come from the Father. He knew that he was going from the Father. And he knew all things were in his hands. You see, true, truly having all things will not puff you up. up. Truly having all things, having true self-awareness will humble you. It will enable you to serve humbly. In fact, let me say this, that we serve best from a place of self-awareness. If you're still having to tell people, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Then you also have an issue with knowing who you are. Because you're having to prove it and to blow your trumpet. This is... Um, Allow me to stay on this point because I feel like God wants me to stay on this point. See, Jesus was not about ego. He did not come from heaven to put on a show. He didn't come for your applause. He did not come for you to say, wow, what a man. That is not what he came to do. That is not what was behind the things he did. And his family could not understand him. They did not understand him. His brothers wanted him to prove 
that he is powerful, to prove that he's criti- to prove to his critics that he is powerful and he was someone. Uh, let's read John chapter 7. Are you getting something, saints? John 7, verses 1 to 6. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea because the Jewish, Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You cannot become famous if you hide like this. Hmm? If you do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. And Jesus replied, now is not the right time for me to go. But you guys can go anytime. Did you realize that there is a connection between unbelief and trying to prove yourself? Jesus, who was confident, when you are confident about yourself, you do not need to tell people, do you know who I am? Who you are will speak. It will testify by itself. Jesus was being told, stop hiding. But he was so confident of his mission, so aware of what he was called to do, that even when he did a powerful miracle, one that all of you would have tweeted and put on news and all of that, he told the person who he had ministered to, don't tell anyone. Keep it quiet. You know, I, I don't know how many of you will, will admit, but let me admit on your behalf that sometimes I have prayed, God show them. Have, have you ever prayed those God show them prayers? Where you feel like, God, you need to vindicate me. God, you need to show them who I am. God, you need to show them that it was you. You need to show them that it was you who sent me. You need to show them that I'm called of God. How many of you have prayed that prayer? Let me tell you something about that prayer. It doesn't get answered because God is not here to show them how powerful you are, how amazing you are, how you've succeeded, how you have beaten everybody here. God is not here to show them God is here to manifest Jesus. You just follow Jesus. Let God settle scores by himself. Don't make it your prayer request. God, in the name of Jesus, may their paths become dark and slippery. Show them. That prayer is not necessary, neither is it healthy. And it will stress you out for nothing. Just seek to be like Jesus. To know what God called you to do and to do it faithfully. That is what we are called to. I want to move on to the second thing and I'll try and do this quickly and wrap up. The second thing I want to look at about Jesus' emotional intelligence was his empathy and his compassion. 
This is huge. Saints, this is huge. If anything, this was what marked him. His compassion, his empathy, his feeling of others. And I feel like I need personally a lifetime to explore it and then be able perhaps to explain it. But suffice to say that Jesus' main driver was compassion. It was the thing that pushed him. Now let me just explain for a minute. Empathy is being able to see and feel what others feel. It is the opposite of ego and selfishness. It is the ability to stop in the middle of something and see that expression on somebody else's face. How are they feeling? You know that those people who say, may I speak my mind? God gave me that gift. I speak everything which is on my mind. But are you doing that with empathy? Or are you just emptying? To whom it may concern. And causing damage. Transferring the injury of yourself to someone else. Empathy is the opposite of that. However gifted or skilled you might be, you will never go far or be effective unless you can look past your own needs and feel other people's needs. And the church said, there's someone who gave a quote. Let me do one more quote. It says, when you start to develop your powers of empathy, I don't like the rendering of that, but when you start to develop your empathy, the whole world opens up to you. That is from an unbeliever. Now the driver behind Jesus' miracles was compassion. When he healed the sick, he wasn't doing it for people to say, what a mighty man of God. He wasn't doing it to grow his church. He wasn't doing it to get attention. He was doing it because of the pain of the people. When he was feeding the 5,000, he did not do it to wow the crowds. In fact, he did a lot of these things in secret. Matthew 14, 14. Before we come into the story of the feeding of the 5,000, that, that verse in Matthew 14, 14, it's not going to come up. Oh, great, great stuff. When Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. And he said, bless the Lord who has made me a mighty man. And he said, thank you, Lord, for giving me fame. And he said, I have finally arrived. No, he was moved with compassion. He wasn't looking at the congregation and saying, look how many people have come to church. He was looking at each one and moved with compassion over each one of them. Mark 6, 34 says that even in his teaching, that he looked at them and he saw that they were like a crowd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he was moved with compassion for them. 
Raise your hand and say, Lord, give me compassion. May I look past myself and see the needs of others. May I be motivated by empathy. May I be motivated by compassion. May that be what makes me serve you. Even when he was teaching, he was teaching with his heart bleeding. For those who were like sheep without a shepherd, he was like, it wasn't like, will they today, will they understand me? Will I get amens? Will they clap? Will they celebrate me? No, 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 no. It's not about all of that. It's not about being celebrated. It is about the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. The son of man came to destroy the works of the enemy. The people of God are in bondage. The people of God are suffering. I want to say something that can help them on their journey. That is empathy. That is compassion. Not for me, not for you to clap for me, but for somebody else to be blessed. Not for you to put money on that pulpit or in our account but for somebody to see something they never saw before for somebody to hear something they never that is what it's all about saints it is not a show it is not a performance it is not about people coming to carry our briefcases it is not about earning a living it is not about looking good it is not about a wonderful church that looks so big it is about meeting the needs of God's people. And if I can meet one person's need, that is enough. If I can answer one person's prayer, that is enough. If I can make one person take one step forward, that is enough. Moved with compassion. Not everybody will get me. Not everybody will follow me. But if I can see somebody in need, whoever they are, and I can minister to them, that will do. He was moved with compassion. When the crowds gathered, he was unfazed. Because let me tell you one thing about crowds gathering or fame Oh, popularity is that it is here today and it is gone tomorrow. I can assure you. You may be in thousands today and zero tomorrow. Why am I saying that? Because it happened to Jesus. He had thousands following him. But at the time when he died, he had no one. Not even the trusted not even the ones that were closest to him. Everybody had fled. But he did not have a nervous breakdown. Because he understood men. That they are fickle. They will be here today. They will go today. And that was not his motivation anyway. He came to seek and save. He came to heal and deliver. Compassion. 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 That is the key to miracles. That is the key to the miraculous. You see, we see the miracles of Jesus and we're like, send your power, send your power. We want the power. We want to display those miracles. But why do we want it? For him, the miraculous was him seeing a woman burying her only child who is a widow, and his heart was torn. And he said, no, 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 not on my watch. 
This little boy has to raise up and look after his mother. May God restore a spirit of compassion in the church. May God give us hearts that see need and meet need. When he's described in Isaiah 53, let's throw that down. See, compassion so drove him. That the Bible says that sometimes he was on his feet all time and he did not even have time to eat. Not because he was just a performance A, what do they call them? A, A people, A driven, A people, type A people who are driven and you can be so driven, but you can be so driven by um, ambition or by wanting to do things. He was driven by compassion. Bible describes him thus, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now hold on a minute, because I often would ask myself, why was Jesus described as a man of sorrows? And yet we are told to rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Why? (laughs) Why are we told to be joyful, happy, the happiest people on earth? Yet our master is called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But you need to read the next verse, which says... And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Carry on. If you have it. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So when it's describing him as a man of sorrows, he's not a depressive. But he is one who was weighed by the needs of others. When was the last time you groaned in prayer for someone else? When was the last time that you wept in prayer over someone else's need and not your own? He was pierced for us. The pain that he felt in his life was not because he didn't have money to pay his bills. It was the pain of the woman who has been in sickness for how many years, spending all her money on doctors and not being healed. That is what pierced his soul. That is what he wept about in the prayer room. He wept over the needs of God's people. Raise your hand and say, God, give me compassion. He was pierced for our transgression. He knew suffering that we may know healing. He walked this whole walk that he walked. Everything that he suffered was for us. That we might know healing. That we may be better. And there's a a wonderful quote that I saw on empathy. Let me give you this and I'll wrap up. It says, the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. Those persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep, loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. Beauty is born 
in the belly. You know, compassion is born out of suffering. When you go through grief, when someone else is grieving, you feel it like your own grief. Unless you're just too hardened with self. When you go through sickness, when you have raised a child and been to the doctor's endless time as they say, this is wrong, that is wrong, the other thing is wrong, and you see someone else going, that births something in you. That is why the Bible says that we rejoice in our suffering because our suffering produces character. We are talking about the character of compassion. The mother who has gone through a lot with her child will pray for another mother in a way that no one else can because character has been developed. Compassion has been burst. Something has been born out of the suffering that she has gone through. Saints, let us not waste our suffering. Let us allow it to mold us that we may be a people of compassion. That we, like our master, will bleed with those who are bleeding and feel those who are feeling. May people say of Liberty Christian Fellowship that that is a people who are marked by empathy. Who are marked by compassion. Who care beyond themselves. Who feel you. Who know where you are. May God do that. Raise your hand and say, God, touch my heart even right now. Give me a heart of compassion. Touch my heart, Lord. Make me a person of compassion. We are well out of time. But it's hard for me to stop without touching on his passion. Keep that music going. As compassionate as he was, he was also very passionate. He said of himself, zeal for the house of the Lord has consumed me. He said of himself, my food is not, it's not meat. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. He was 100% on fire, motivated to love, to serve, to do the will of God, to do what he was called to do within the times and the frames that he was called to. I want to be like him. Just find whichever way it is that you pray eyes closed, hands raised. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to walk like you. I want to love like you. You said greater love has no man than this that he laid down his life for others. Teach me me. Why don't you just put that heart of yours in his hands? Some of you, maybe your heart has gotten hardened from guarding it, defending yourself, a lifetime of defending yourself, a lifetime of trying to prove yourself. I think today, God has come to say, just quit that. 
that's enough. Time to just put it in my hands. Just raise your hands to the Father. Like a child, would you say, Dad, here I am. I want to know what it is you've pulled me to and and just stick in my lane. I want to do what you want me to do. Not for the accolades, not for the praise, not for the recognition, but to be like you, to seek and save that which is lost, to, to pour my life out for the sake of those that are hurting, to to see their pain, to be aware of it, to not have my head so stuck in my own business that I cannot see the person across the road, cannot see their pain, cannot see what I'm doing to them. I give myself to you. I surrender to you. Shall we just say the words, these words together, Lord Jesus, take my heart, melt it, mold it, make me like Jesus. Take my priorities, make them your priorities. Take what upsets me, remove it. Let me be upset by what upsets you. Let me be moved by what moves God. Today, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my emotions. I pray, Lord, that you may make me more like Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen.